12 years ago, 2004, I, uh, I bought something that I had been wanting my whole life. I bought a pickup truck. I bought a Ford F1, F-150 STX four-wheel drive. Absolutely loved it. Loved this truck. I spent a lot of time picking it out, and uh, I, I just, I loved this truck. If you can use the word love for a truck, which I believe you can, um, I, I loved this truck. And I drove it for several years, for four or five years, and then it, 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 we lived in Rogersville at the time, so we had a, quite a commute, and you know when your kids are young, they're involved in so many things, and we were driving into town, I was driving two or three times a day, that's when gas was $4 a gallon, anybody remember that? Uh, $4 a gallon, and it was just, it just wasn't working out, we'll just put it that way. Uh, so my truck and I, we had to break up, and, and uh, so I, I, I sold it, and uh, traded it, and uh, got my little Yaris, and, well, bless the Lord, it gets 40 miles a gallon. That's all I can say. Um, and now I live right by the church. So <laughs> the reason I bring that up is because I love that truck. I had a special relationship with that truck. Uh, we were friends. But were we really? No. No, it was a piece of machinery, right? It was a tool to get from point A to point B and to haul some stuff while I, when I needed to haul it. And, and so I can't refer to the truck as a, as a person. Uh, it's an it. It's an it. It, it didn't love me back. It, it just did what I asked it to do, but it wasn't there for me. If I would have needed help um, other than, you know, hauling something or getting something, it wasn't there. It was a one-way relationship. I had to keep gas in it, right? Or wouldn't do what it was supposed to do. So it wasn't a person. It was an it. Even though I cared for it, even though I loved it, it didn't love me back. It didn't do ever, it wasn't there for me, if so to speak, like that. And I bring that up. I bring that up because a lot of times when we talk about the Holy Spirit, um, actually people often refer to the Holy Spirit as it instead of Him. And I want to talk about this morning about how the Holy Spirit is actually a person. Maybe not a person like we would always think of a person. We know that, that God came in the person of Jesus Christ, but the Holy Spirit has a personality. He's a person, He's a person of God. And, and it's important that we don't refer to him as it. And it's important for us to understand that he is not a force. Okay, he's not this mystical force out there. He is a person, so to speak. And because he's a person, we can relate to him like we would relate to a person. If we always think of the Holy Spirit as an it, or the Holy Spirit as a force, then we will never have a relationship with him. And the Lord really wants us to have a relationship with him, with the Holy Spirit. And so that's why we're going to be talking about what we're going to be talking about this morning, about, about him being a person. Now, I think we have this struggle in our mind when we talk about the Holy Spirit being a person. Now, this morning I'm going to talk about him having the attributes of a personality, of having a mind, of having a will, of having emotions. And I think we struggle with that at times because it would seem as if we are condescending God down to be something like us, which we know is not true. But the reality is, is actually the opposite of that. That we were made and are made in the image of God. And because we're made in the image of God, we can understand even more about Him because of how He's made us in His image. That we, as people, have a mind. We have the ability to think. That we have a soul. Now put it that way, that we have a soul. We have, and what is the function of our soul? Well, it's our mind, it's our will, and our emotions, it's our thoughts, it's our feelings. And every one of those things, every one of those aspects are true about God. 
about the Holy Spirit. And when we begin to think about that, when we begin to comprehend it in that kind of um, perspective, when we frame it like that, when we look through it through that type of lens, then we were, uh, we were able to have a relationship with Him. I think one of the difficulties in understanding the Holy Spirit as, as a person, person of God, is I think part of it has to do with His name. Um, and and, and th- this, is, this is why I say that, because God the Father is easy to understand. That describes His role in our life. God the Son, okay, we get that, right? But when we say God the Spirit, God Holy Spirit, it's, it, 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 it just, it's a little bit hard sometimes to fully grasp. And, and that's why we're doing this series. Why, that's why we're talking about it. And I think one of the reasons that is because, really, the Holy Spirit isn't His name. It's His function. Okay? His name is God. He is God. We have God the Father. We have God the Son. We have the role of the Father. That describes who God is as the Father. We have God the Son, Jesus. That describes Him coming, becoming man the God-man dwelling among us, and then we have the description of God, the Holy Spirit, who has come, who is everywhere, all the time, um, with us, in us. And so really, this is a description. God is His name, and Spirit is His function. So what gives life, right? So what makes, what distinguishes a person? Well, we'd say life. So what distinguishes a person? It would be life. But, but that's not... That's not completely true because um, you know, we have trees out here that, that are receiving lots of nourishment of rain right now. I know, I know yesterday we were at, we've been doing some projects at our house. We went to Lowe's. We bought some hibiscus trees. And, and so those hibiscus trees are alive, at least for right now. You know, give them a few weeks after I you know, take care of them. Maybe they won't be. But right now, these hibiscus trees are alive. But are they a person? They're alive. I mean, they, they're, they're, they're eating food. They're producing waste, so to speak. They, they, if they were pollinated right and they're in the right environment, they could multiply. They could meet all of the stipulations of being alive. But are they a person? No, they're not a person. Now, I, I guess some people kind of think that trees are people, you know, and there's some, you know, some people like to live in them and all those kinds of things. But, but we know that they're not alive. They're not, they're not, they're not people because they don't have a soul. And so soul is just what distinguishes that. And, and let's, let's grab this theologically. Matthew chapter 12, verse 18. This is, from, this is from God the Father. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. And this is God speaking of, of his son, Jesus. And then Jesus, God the Son, says in Matthew 26, 38, that he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. This is the Garden of Gethsemane. We know his soul, his thoughts, his feelings, his will, his emotions. It was, we know his, his soul was in great turmoil in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then in Hebrews chapter 10.38, which is a referencing, referencing here the Holy Spirit, it says, Know that just shall live by faith, but, anyone, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And here's a picture of the soul of the Holy Spirit. So is it possible that the Holy Spirit is trying to help us think like God thinks, desire what God desires, and feel what God feels? I believe that's true. And this is the amazing thing, is that we have Him living in us as children of God. As we've put our faith in Jesus Christ, we have the Holy Spirit living within us. And, 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 and we can know 
the thoughts of God. Is that amazing that we can know what God's thoughts are in a particular situation because of the Holy Spirit? You see, the Holy Spirit has a mind. That's the first point in your outline this morning. He has a mind. John 16, 13 in the New King James says, says this, However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. Isn't that amazing? That He has, a, he has all truth. Everything that's true, he, he knows. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will tell you things to come. He knows all things. He's, he's omniscient, which means all knowledge. He knows everything. Have you ever thought about what God's IQ is? You ever thought about that? Albert Einstein's was 209. That was Albert Einstein's IQ. But this is an intelligent, intelligent quotient is what IQ stands for. But you see, God can't even have an IQ because for an IQ for a quotient there, it has to be, it has to be able to calculate it. And you can't even calculate God's knowledge. He he, he is knowledge. He has it all. He's all I and no Q in IQ. That's who God is. Did you know that God had never, he's never said, oh, I've never thought of that before. Why don't we do it that way? Never had a new idea. He knows all things, all the time, in all space, everywhere. That's the mind of God. That's the Holy Spirit who resides in us. And so when I don't know what to do, hello, He is right here to guide me, to lead me into all truth. You know, know when you do internet searches, it's like now the the difficulty in our time is not acquiring knowledge, it's filtering knowledge. That's really the challenge. The challenge is not acquiring knowledge. The challenge is filtering knowledge. But even as you would Google something and you would have hundreds of thousands of hits or pages or whatever it might be you could go to, the knowledge of God, Google has nothing. Google has nothing on the knowledge of God and of who He is. In fact, Psalm 147.4 declares that God not only knows how many stars there are, but He also has named every one of the billions of stars. Wow! Not, he knows you so well that He knows the ever-changing number of hairs on your head. That's how well, I mean, that is God's knowledge. That's how well He knows us. He knows every person. Isn't that amazing? That He knows every person. You know, anybody here have a trouble remembering names? God doesn't. He knows every person's name from all time. Past, present, future. All right, He already knows. He knows it all. I mean, that's the Holy Spirit. That's the omniscience, the all-knowing of God. And He lives inside of us. He can illuminate Scripture. He can make it come alive. He can teach us things of the Word that we don't know. He can lead us and guide us to know His mind in different situations. I I love Philippians where it says, Let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does to us. He can give us the mind of Christ. Isaiah 55, 8-9 says this. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. I mean, you know, we need to do some exchanging, right? We need some of His thoughts to become our thoughts. Because He thinks on a whole different level, on a whole different on a whole different paradigm than we ever do. Have you ever talked to a person that's just really brilliant, 
that's really a genius, and, and you're working on, such, on something, maybe it's a problem, and you're like down in the details, and then they come along, and they just, they can see the 30,000 foot view, and they just help you, and you're like, oh, if I would have had that perspective, this all would make sense. You ever, you ever had that happen? That's, what, that's one of the things God does for us. He gives us this big perspective. We can have his thoughts that are so much higher than our thoughts. Romans 8, 27 says, Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is. The Spirit has a mind. He has thoughts. He has, God has thoughts towards you and what he wants to do. So not only does the Holy Spirit has a mind, the Holy Spirit has a will. Acts 16, 6 says this. This is the story of what's going on. Uh, they are, they've been in... Um, uh, they're, they're like in, the, in, in Turkey, okay? So in modern-day Turkey, they're in Asia Minor, Asia, Asia Minor, they're on the south, it gets to be southwestern portion of Turkey. And they're, they're about to head up and go, and go north into, into Asia, okay? And so um, the Holy Spirit speaks to Paul. They have, this, they have this, 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 this clear indication in Acts 16, 6. It says, Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. And we know that's when they, had the, they saw the vision of the man from Macedonia, from Greece, who called them to come to Greece, and, and they went to Europe instead of Asia. But it says here that the Holy Spirit forbid them to preach the word in Asia. The Holy Spirit has a will here. The Holy Spirit, he said, no, that's not what I want you to do. That's not my will for you. I have something else. Now, we know the gospel got to Asia, but at that point in that time, that wasn't the will of the Holy Spirit. He had something else in mind. To have a will and to forbid right here is to exercise their, his, the Holy Spirit to exercise his will. Have you ever forbid your children to do something? You're like, maybe you didn't say, I forbid you to. Now, if you said, I forbid you to, like, I mean, that's some serious parent talk, right? I forbid you to. But you say, hey, I don't want you doing that. And so you, what you're doing is you're communicating, you're exercising your will towards your kids because you know the direction, you don't know the will that you have for them. And that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. He has a will. He has a plan. And if we want to know the plan of God, wouldn't it make sense that we would get to know God more? I mean, wouldn't that make sense? I think so often we want to know the will of God without knowing the person of God. We want God to download a map. We want Him to download a GPS. But we don't always take the time to get to know Him. And when we get to know Him, then His will, His plans, they just, they just un- become manifest in our life. We know His plans because we know Him. Do you know the number one, when every time Christians are surveyed, do you know what the number one survey is? Or what do you uh, you know? What is it that you want to know? What, 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 what's, what's the number one question you have? Well, those types, it's always, what is the will of God for my life? It's always number one. No matter who does it, so what is the will of God for my life? That as believers, we really want to know that. But the way we really get to know the will of God is to get to know God himself. This is how we can know. There's two things to the will of God. First thing is the general will of God. And then there's the specific will of God, okay? You might want to write that in your notes, because it makes sense. There's the general will of God, and then there's the specific will of God. The general will of God, you can find in your Bible. You can find in the Bible. You can find principles 
for marriage in your Bible. It'll tell you how to treat your spouse. It'll tell you, if you're, whether you're a husband or a wife, it'll tell you how to be a good husband. It'll tell you how to be a good wife. But you know what it doesn't tell you? It doesn't tell you who to marry. Maybe you look the one, who do you want? I mean, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't tell you that, right? That's the specific will of God. You have to listen to him. You have to know what his plan is. You know, our daughter, um, she just got married in May, uh, Mother's Day weekend in May. And, uh, and she had known her fiancé for a number of years, and, and they, they, were, they were married. And one of the difficulties they have in their marriage is that he's military, he's Navy. And so, you know, those of you that have been in military families, uh, you know, the, you know the, the difficulties of logistics with that. So she was uh, attending College of the Ozarks, and uh, on a, working her way through school there, uh, he's in the Navy, um, assigned to a ship, not necessarily to a station or a base. And so when the ship goes, he goes. Uh, they know he's at least two more deployments he's going to have. So they're just trying to work out, would it be better for her to stay here and go to school and then go to see him when she can, or should she move to San Diego and be there with him while he's there and just go, go be there and just trying to figure this out? And so I came, I came home one night, and we were having dinner, and she wasn't eating dinner with us. And, 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 I, and so I said, why, why aren't you eating dinner? And she said, well, I'm, I'm praying and fasting. And I'm like, well, you, your kids are praying and fasting. I mean, that's a big deal, right? So I'm like, well, what's going on? And she said, well, we're really trying to determine what, what it is we need to do, because I know it, you know, it makes financial sense to stay here and go to school and do this, and, but but maybe I should go be with him in San Diego. And, you know, she's trying to figure this out. And, I, and she had been at the point, they had been at the point where she was probably going to stay here and do that. And I said, well, I can fix that one for you. Eat dinner. The Bible says when you get married, you leave your parents and you cleave to your spouse. You leave and you cleave. The Bible's very clear on it. You don't even have to pray about it. You can eat dinner, Maddie. You don't even have to pray. God has already told you that when you get married, you leave your parents and you go be with your spouse. Now, if he gets deployed, come back and visit. You know, love to have you here. But you get married, you leave. It's, that is the, that's the general will of God. And she was trying to figure out all the specific of it. But it, we have instructions. We, the Bible tells us how to parent. It gives clear instructions you, on how to parent. It tells you how to, how to discipline. It tells you how to have boundaries. If we read the Word, it teaches us how to treat our kids and how to have our kids treat us. It's very clear in the Word of God, but sometimes as a parent, as a grandparent, you need the specific will of God, right? For that moment right there. This kid, he's driving me nuts. What am I going to do with him? Oh God, help me, right? And that's when we need to, have, we need to be in tune, if you will. We need to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit so we can know His will. What is His will in this situation? What does He want to do right now? Because it's interesting. Because we think we know a lot of things, Right? Maybe we walked with the Lord a long time. We know a lot of things, but I think this verse is, I think there's a verse I want to share with you guys I think is real interesting. You'll be very familiar with Romans 8.28. In fact, many of you could even probably quote it. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to His purposes. Can I get an amen? amen. I mean, that's a good verse, right? Like, we love that verse. Right? Yeah, not a trick question. We're thankful that God is working together for our good because we love Him, because we're called according to His purposes. But we back up just a few verses. We look at verse 26, and this is what it says. It says, And likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. 
For we do not know what we should we for we do not know what we should pray as as we ought. He's saying here, he goes, Paul said, You don't even know how to pray. You ever thought about that? He's somebody like, Yeah, I thought I know I don't know how to pray. But I mean we can pray according to our mind, like we have maybe a prayer list we go through, but he's like, You don't even know what you're gonna face tomorrow. You don't even know what the rest of today has for you. Like you don't he's saying you don't even know how to pray. Without the Spirit. The Spirit, and I love this. But the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, many, many view this and think this is a part of, of, of praying in a spiritual language. Verse 27, Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is. That the, the Spirit has a mind, the Spirit has a will, because He makes intercession for the saints of God according to the will of God. That the Holy Spirit has a mind. He knows what He intends towards us. And it's good. And He has a will to direct us towards that. And He's praying for us. And we don't even know what to pray. That we will know His mind. And that we will walk in His will. And He's working it all. The good, the bad, the ugly. Everything in our life. He's working for good. According to His purposes. Isn't it amazing that we can know the person of God? I mean, I'm being serious, right? Right? Like it's amazing that we have that privilege to know the mind and the will of God. You know, we're living in an incredible time in history. We really are. I mentioned last week how there would be periods of, of time where, where the Holy Spirit would come and He would descend upon a person, but then He would ascend, and then He wouldn't in the Old Testament. There wasn't this relationship like what we have today. We're so privileged to have that with the Lord. In fact, even the, the coming of, of Jesus it even separates history. It tells us that we're in another time. It's a whole other time. If you use classical, classical dating, it would be B.C. and A.D. B.C. before Christ. A.D. is a, is a, a transliteration or interpretation of Latin, which means in the, in the year of the Lord. That even time is set apart because of Jesus, because of the Spirit who's now come at Pentecost. And, and I know that there's, there's the, the common dating now is common era, C.E., or, or, excuse me, BCE, before Common Era, and now it's the Common Era. You guys familiar with that dating? That's what our kids, that's what they were, that's what's referred to now in school, before Common Era and the Common Era. Which many would say it's because, you know, that's, they're trying to take out that delineation of when Jesus came. But the reality is, it's still the same time that separates time. That's the, that's the amazing thing. That's the impact that Jesus has had on our world. Even time is set apart. But I'm glad they use the word see. Because you can just say before Christ era and Christ era. So I think it's even better. That's how I use BCE and CE. I, I think it works pretty good. But that's the, that's, that's the heart of God. Okay, again, this, this when everything changed, when the Holy Spirit came, Acts chapter 2, verse 16 and 7. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. This is what, when Peter was, when, when at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon the early church, everybody was like, what is going on? These people are drunk, they're, and, and they're, they're, well, they must be drunk, it's 9 o'clock in the morning, and, and what's going on? And, and Peter's like, no, no, that, that's not what's going on. What's going on, this is a, the fulfillment of the prophecy by the prophet Joel, who prophesied, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And I'm glad I'm still seeing visions, that's just... Just have to throw that in there, right? (laughs) 
He's saying, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh, and, and they're going to prophesy. What is prophecy? Prophecy is speaking the will or the heart of God into a situation. It's speaking on behalf of the Lord. It's, it's, it's speaking the thoughts that God has towards something. And how could we prophesy? How could they prophesy if they didn't know the Lord? How can we prophesy? How can we speak what God says about a situation if we're not walking with Him, if we don't know Him, if we're not abiding in His presence and walking with Him? Because we see we can't have a relationship with an, another person through another person, right? You can't have a relationship with me through my wife. You have to have a relationship with me, with me to know me. And so it is with the Holy Spirit that, that we don't ask for others to hear God for us. Now, we may ask others to hear God with us. But as your pastor, my job is not to hear God for you. My job is to hear God with you and to walk with you. And that we would hear the words of the voice of the Lord together. And that we could, that we could be a people who know the will of God. Because he's made it manifest to us. So we know he has a mind, we know he has a will, and we know he has emotions. And I think this could be hard for us because, again, it seems like maybe we're condescending who God is, but I think you'll see through Scripture that this is absolutely true, that God, he feels. The reason we feel is people because God feels. And he's made us in his image, and so the happiness that we feel, the joy that we feel, the sadness that we feel, the anger that we feel, those are all capacities that we have because we're made in the image of God. Let's just start with the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 2, verses 22 through 23. Just think of this as insofar as, as, as how God would feel our emotions. That, but the fruit of the Spirit, here we're talking about the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, is joy, is peace, is long-suffering. Now these maybe supersede emotion, but they still include emotion. A kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there, there is no law. A person has joy, right? A tree doesn't have joy. A truck doesn't have joy. A person has long-suffering. A person has peace. These are all attributes of a person. Ephesians 4.30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And a lot of times in the verses used, it's used in, people use it in context of a worship service, of, of making sure there's time and place for the gifts of the Spirit. And, and if a person doesn't, service doesn't go as a person thinks it ought to go, they'll say that somebody else was grieving the Holy Spirit. And it's really interesting because if you look at the context of Ephesians 4, if we, if, if we want to see what, what, what grieves the Holy Spirit, it tells us right there. And what, what is grief, right? We're going to talk about that even more, but grief is an emotion, right? Grieving is, 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 is deep. And the Holy Spirit can, can grieve. That's, ama- that's, that's amazing. So here we go. Ephesians chapter 4, 25. It says, Therefore put away lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. And, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to give you the... I'm going to be the teacher that gives you the answer before the question, okay? Every one of the, you'll see here in verse 30, every one of these are markers of things that grieve the Holy Spirit. So when we begin to do these, when we do these things in our life, it actually grieves the Holy Spirit. So let not one of you speak truth, or let each of you speak truth with his neighbor, for members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. You see, there can be anger, there can be this frustration, there can be anger, but in that, don't, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. 
nor give place to the devil. Let him who still, who stole still no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. That's an interesting motivation for work, right? He's saying work so you can help somebody else that has need. We don't always think, we don't always include that in our theology of work, do we? But it's right here. Let no, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to your hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, let all wrath, let all anger, let all clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. So how do you grieve the Holy Spirit? How do you cause grief? How do you... Here it is. It's lying. It's anger with sin. It's giving place to the devil. It's stealing. It's not giving. It's corrupt words. It's bitterness. It's wrath. It's anger. And these things actually make the Spirit sad. Makes, it, makes Him sad. And, and let me just say, we're not, we're not reducing who God is by saying that he could be sad. Okay, I think we could think that, and this would be inaccurate. Because we, we, we wrestle, we struggle with, un, with our finite minds understanding an infinite God. That sadness, I think somehow, we could think would superimpose weakness upon him. Sadness is not weakness. Grief is not weakness. It's honesty. It's, it's truth. It's, it's reality. Have you ever seen one of your kids sinning? And you knew they were going to get hurt. Like you knew they were, you knew the direction they're headed in. They're going to, it's going to be painful. And they're going to receive, they're going to hurt. And your heart hurts for them. You grieve for them because you know the wall they're about to hit. You know the pain. And maybe, I mean, if you have little ones, that's a, that's a physical example of hitting a wall. (laughs) But if it's, you have older kids, that's a symbolic picture of hitting a wall. And you know the direction they're headed, and you know it's going to hurt. And your heart hurts for them. Your heart hurts for them. That's a picture of what I'm talking about. Because grief is sadness you feel when you lose intimacy with the person. That's what grief is. That's why we grieve so deeply when a person that we love so dearly passes away. We grieve because we know that we won't have this, we won't be intimate with that person again. We won't have that intimacy. We won't have that connection. We won't have that interaction. And that breaks our heart. Now, if they know the Lord and we know the Lord, we know we'll see them again. We'll know we'll be reunited. We know that. And that gives us hope. But there's still grief that we face because we don't have them. That closeness. That closeness. And I think that's a picture of the Holy Spirit and how He feels when we sin. We know we don't lose our salvation when we sin. You know, if... if it is, our, our salvation is not that fragile that you slip up and then, oh, you're not going to heaven anymore. We know, we know we're still going to heaven. We know that our salvation, as, as Pastor David said, is not based upon our performance, based upon what Christ has done for us. But when we sin, as it grieves the Holy Spirit, it breaks, it blocks the intimacy that we have in our life with, with Him. We lose that. I really, I don't know a better way to explain it than just, than just talk about the relationship that Heather and I have as a husband and wife. And that's a biblical example because, because we know that Paul said that 
the, the picture of a husband and wife is a picture of Christ and the church. And so we know that, there's a, that, that marriage is a, is a picture, it's a symbol of, of God and of His church and of what He's intended in relation. So it's a, it's a very appropriate example. And, and, and when, in fact, even, I think it's Timothy, where Paul even instructs Timothy, and he instructs the men to live in an understanding manner with their wives. We don't have to understand them, but we have to live in an understanding manner. Because, because he said, if you don't, your prayers will be blocked. They'll be hindered. That you, you, your prayers won't anymore. So there's this, again, that would be a grieving. That would be a, a separation uh, of sorts. And so, and so I, I, I just put it this way. that, And if you're married, um, you, you would understand this illustration. If you're not married, maybe you've been in, in close relationships with somebody where, where um, levels of closeness, of intimacy, have been decreased or increased during spans of time. But, but I know with, with Heather and I that, that if we're not intentionally investing in our relationship with each other, that if we're not making time for each other, that there can be this distance that begins to happen. And, and you're married, you know what I'm talking about. Like, like I've been in a graduate program for a year now. I'm halfway through my graduate program. And, and, and it's been tough. Heather and I have really had to work at trying to carve out time to be together because I'm with, with, with ministry and with, um, with, with the church and then at evenings doing homework. It's like, it just, it, 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 it's like you go, you'll go a few weeks and you're like, wow, we, we just, we haven't talked very much. We haven't been together much. And you just, you feel this distance. We, we love each other. We're married. We're staying married. But there's just this, this distance because of we haven't been spending time together. Same thing happens with us in the Holy Spirit. When we don't spend time with Him, we don't, we don't just... And Heather and I, we don't, you don't even have to do anything, right, to get those, that emotional connection with you. You just need to be together. You just have to like, be in the same room, right? You just have to see them to be able to build that. And so, so it is with us in the Lord. We have to spend that time with them. And then, like with Heather, it's... it's okay, so you know when you, when you say things or do things and immediately... There's this distance that's caused in a relationship. I know you guys never do anything like that. I, I know. So we'll just, it's, I know it's just me. I know I'm the only one. But you give that look, or you say that thing you shouldn't have said. Okay. So uh, I probably don't have to illustrate with specific examples. Um, although you might like it, but I'm not going to. Because <laughs> we don't have enough time this morning <laughs> for all my examples. But it just it causes that block. And so then you have to go back and, and, and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, babe. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have looked that way. I shouldn't have, shouldn't have used that tone. Because it causes that. It's, that's, that's grieving. You know what I'm saying? That's grieving because then you begin to lose intimacy. And, and that given long enough, it, it just, you, a person, a husband and wife wouldn't even be walking together anymore. And so we have to, with the Holy Spirit, we can't let those things build up in our lives. That's what I'm trying to say. We can't let those things build up. We have to deal with them when they, when they come about. And, and this is a conflict that we have. Is that oftentimes the Holy Spirit will impress upon things upon us that are causing distance in our relationship with Him. And, and, and I'm, I'm not talking about just sinning. I'm talking about when sin becomes habitual. And the Holy Spirit begins to deal with us on stuff, and, and, and He instructs us, and we begin to stiff-arm the Holy Spirit. We begin to push Him away, and we really don't want Him to touch that area of our life. But this is, the, this is 
it's crazy because we want to keep the Holy Spirit from distance from us in certain areas of our life, but then we want to hear Him in other areas of our life. So I really don't want you saying anything about this to me, about who I sh- what I should be doing, what I shouldn't be doing, but hey, I really want to know your will, right? Does, does that even make sense? But we can be like that. Can't we just we want to selectively hear the Holy Spirit. That, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. It says here in, in this passage in Galatians, it says to, to cast off, cast off bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking. Those are things that really just cause this blocking of the Holy Spirit in our life. Just, just real quickly, and, and, and Brent, you don't have to show the slide because we don't have time, but there's a story of a man in Acts. His name was Simon, and he wanted to buy the gift of the Holy Spirit. He saw the power that came with the Holy Spirit. He wanted to buy it. He wanted to pay money to get this Holy Spirit thing, to get this relationship with him. And Peter's like, you're crazy. That's not how it works. He says, I'm going to pray for you. And he says this. He goes, he says, I can see that you've been poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Bitterness can keep us from receiving all the Holy Spirit has for us. And iniquity, iniquity is, is, is just sin that's compounded in our life that's over and over and over. And it can, it can, it can bind us. Do you know bondage is a road? Bondage is a road. If, if, see, bondage is a road. And, and you begin to sin and the Holy Spirit's dealing with you. And you stiff arm the Holy Spirit. And, and you keep heading down this road. And it's a road of bondage. But did you know that freedom is also a road? And, and, and what freedom is, is, is some people experience freedom just instantaneously, but even when they experience freedom, something, there's still a road to be walked, and so it's a turning, and, and freedom is a road that's walked, and you move into more, just as you would move into bondage and bondage and more bondage, you turn, it's called repentance, and you experience freedom and freedom and freedom and more freedom. And so one of my prayers for you today is if you've been headed in a road of bondage, and you've been stiff-arming the Holy Spirit in your life, and you've been grieving Him, but I know you want to hear from Him, that you would receive all that He has for you, and you would turn today, and you'd begin to walk in a road towards freedom, that you'd begin to progress towards freedom, that you'd see those areas of your heart that are, that are just locked up, that you haven't given access to the Holy Spirit, that He would come, and He would break those things in your life today. And so my prayer this morning is that we would have a fresh understanding of who the Holy Spirit is. He is a person. He is real. He has a mind. He has a will. He has emotion. And, and that we, we can hear from him and he can lead us into all truth. We can know his mind. We can know his will. And we can fill his heart. Would you stand with me this morning? Lord, we love you. We love you, Father. We love you, Son.